Good morning. I'm Blake Christie, and this is Fordham Conversations. Frida Kahlo is one of the most celebrated Mexican artists of the 20th century. She is best known for her famous self-portraits. Today, Robin Shannon will talk to Fordham professor Dr. Barbara Mundy about Kahlo and why she is so important to Mexican art. But first, I go on a tour of the New York Botanical Garden's latest exhibition, Frida Kahlo, Art, Garden, Life. I am joined by Karen Dobman, the woman responsible for curating the exhibit. It is a comprehensive look at Kahlo's love for nature, as well as a recreation of Kahlo's home gardens in Mexico City. Frida Kahlo's home gardens in Mexico City are famously called La Casa Azul for its vibrant blue courtyard walls. Casa Azul is truly a sight to see. Fortunately, the New York Botanical Garden has recreated the Mexico City landmark in the Bronx for a limited time. Karen Dobman has been carefully curating the Kahlo exhibition, which she says is unlike anything they have ever done. Today we are walking through Frida Kahlo Art Garden Life. It's, it's really a, an interesting exhibition for the New York Botanical Garden because it is multi-venue. There is a flower show that's very colorful and, and vibrant in the Ina Day Haupt Conservatory. There are 14 Frida Kahlo paintings in the library gallery. The outdoor perennial gardens are loaded with um, Octavio Paz poetry. There's music playing everywhere uh, in the conservatory, in the visitor center. We've got all sorts of really wonderful food offerings, taco trucks and, and a cantina. So when people come here, they can just sort of experience it, but there's also a really great level of um, educational material. Um, archival photographs of Frida and Diego in their garden and wonderful um, stories about their life in Mexico City. So people can just take it at face value or really dig into it if they're interested. Upon entering the Botanical Gardens Conservatory, I was instantly transported to Kahlo's home in 1950s Mexico City. Vibrant blue walls that give Casa Azul that famous name line the T-shaped conservatory. My eyes are immediately drawn to the phrase, Frida and Diego live in this house. It is written in Spanish and spelled out in mosaics on no less than a bright blue wall. The gardens are truly an extension of Kahlo and her husband Diego Rivera's curated life. To get a real sense of Kahlo and Rivera's Casa Azul, Karen had to travel all the way to Mexico City to see it herself. Obviously, the most famous feature of La Casa Azul is that iconic shade of blue, but Karen said that finding a similar paint color was extremely challenging. It's so vivid. The paint companies in the United States really just don't have the pigments to create these kinds of colors. We worked with a company in Wisconsin called Prestige Paints, and they have made a paint color that's called Casa Azul. And it's what we use to paint the walls in the exhibition. The, the dark green foliage plays really well against the vivid blue. And it's just, I can't explain it, it's just lively. It's beautiful, it's shocking, and with so many of the sunflowers and marigolds planted close to it, it's just a perfect complement. There is an unsurprisingly impressive collection of plants at the conservatory that are inspired by the foliage in Kahlo's self-portraits, still lives, and of course plants that can be found at the real Casa Azul. Massive ceramic pots that are rustic and terracotta in color, like they have been baking in the hot Mexican sun, lined the walkway of the Botanical Garden's recreation of La Casa Azul. I found bushes of vivid, bright purple flowers. Karen told me they're called Bougainvillea, and they were planted amongst succulents with little white flowers and massive agave plants. 
Karen Dobman took me to see some of the more notable elements of the garden. One of my favorite things in the exhibition is the frog pool. And this is one of the coolest things that we saw in Mexico City. There was a lot of mosaic work in the Casa Azul and Frida called Diego her little toad. And so there's a lot of frog and toad motifs throughout the garden. We had our set builders create this and they painted plexiglass and they were able to, I would say replicate. I mean, it looks exactly like it does in Mexico City. It's pale, pale pinks and beiges and browns and blues and sort of a mottled uh, black and gray to create the toads. And then we've got a nice jet of water that just, when it splashes down, it just creates a nice little ripple on the water and nice sound effect. And it's a great pool. It's surrounded by cacti and ivy, all sorts of different types of euphorbias, and then really colorful zinnias. So it does feel like it's just sitting in the right place. There's a bench opposite it, so you can just sit down and sort of reflect. La Casa Azul's centerpiece is a model of an Aztec pyramid. It's about the size of a backyard shed. It's painted orange, red, and of course that famous shade of La Casa Azul blue. The pyramid served a very special purpose for Kahlo. When Frida and Diego expanded the property um, and, and were building their garden, they really they lived a curated life and they collected things that were very important to them they collected things from artists who were dear to them and and local artisans and um, they were really connected to their heritage and they had this extensive collection of pre-hispanic art and it was sort of from all accounts sort of overflowing the house and the idea was to build some sort of display that that you would be able to see all of these things and they'd all have their own space and the pyramid was born. Kahlo spent her early years homebound because of some medical conditions. The curator said Kahlo was aching to find a place that made her feel comfortable. And for Kahlo, that was her art studio. The windows in her studio were huge and they overlooked the garden and her whole studio was just light filled and totally, totally inspiring. And totally inspiring for me to have that moment there. And so when I came back, I was adamant that we have a studio space in our exhibition. And the recreated studio space shows how closely tied Kahlo was to her garden. It is really the point that ties the artist to the natural world. I traveled to the Botanical Gardens Library with Karen Dobman to see the 14 Kahlo paintings that were acquired for the exhibit. The first painting you see is called Portrait of Luther Burbank from 1951. Luther Burbank is a famous horticulturalist who Kahlo deeply admired. Frida always thought of herself as a hybrid. She thought of herself as a, a cross between German, her German father and her, her Mexican mother. And so she was always sort of exploring that theme of hybridization. And she had heard about the work of Luther Burbank, who's a really famous, if you can be a famous horticulturist, he's a famous horticulturist. It's sort of a, a weird thing to be famous in. Um, and he was very concerned with um, crop production. He was always looking to find ways to make plants grow more to feed more people. And so he would graft plants, he would crossbreed plants that they, the, the plant that had really great fruit set on it would be crossed with a, a plant that tasted really great to kind of just up production value. And she was so enamored with that. He had passed away before she was, had a chance to meet him, but she had studied his work. And then when she was in the United States, she and Diego visited his grave, and um, they knew that he was planted under a particular tree, and they visited his house and his garden. And so um, she created this work uh, based on um, photos of Luther Burbank and knowing the crops that he studied and also visiting the, the site of his grave. And as I stared at Kahlo's painting of Luther Burbank, everything came together. 
Kahlo celebrated nature because nature could not pretend to be anything else than what it was. Nature is honest. And Kahlo was always unapologetically honest in her work. I'm Blake Christie, and this is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Now Robin Shannon speaks with Fordham professor Dr. Barbara Mundy, who's an expert on Latin American art, about why Frida Kahlo is so important to Mexican art history. Welcome. Thank you very much, Robin. I'm very happy to be here. Now, for our listeners who may not be familiar with her work, tell me about her work and why you prefer to call her by her last name. Okay, I'll do that. Today, Kahlo is one of the most important uh, Mexican painters of the 20th century. She was not so during her lifetime, and she was really overlooked. She lived much of her life in the shadow of her much more famous husband, Diego Rivera. After her death, though, she became a, a feminist icon, and it was really in the 1970s, particularly among feminist art historians who were looking for new women artists to add to the the canon, that she became the celebrated artist that we know today. Um, Today, she's had numerous exhibitions, including the one at the Botanical Garden. She's collected avidly. Her canvases, which are few in number, sell for much higher prices than those of her her husband, Diego Rivera. I prefer to call her Kahlo rather than Frida because I find that many times women artists are referred to only by their first names. We don't do the same thing for male artists. We refer to her husband as Rivera and other great Mexican artists as Siqueiros or Orozco. I find that there's a kind of embedded sexism in referring to her by the intimate first name of Frida. So out of respect, we'll call her Kahlo. We'll call her Kahlo. Can you explain to me, Barbara, what was her medium and how would you sort of describe her style? She's a wonderful painter, and most of her works are self-portraits. She was her own favorite subject. They're often very intimate. One is brought very close up to her face, and she portrays herself in various guises and costumes. So she's best known for the self-portraits, which she did during her life. Do we know why she chose self-portraits as her medium? Well, Kahlo had a very, very interesting life. She was stricken with polio as a young girl. She had a terrible bus accident when she was 18 years old, which almost crippled her. She spent a lot of time after the accident in bed. And that's when she really took up her paintbrush and started to paint the world around her. And was she a teenager now? Was she a, a, a young woman? She was 18 in the bus, during the bus accident. It happened when she was in 1925 in Mexico City. And from that point on, the world around her became her favorite subject and her own experience in in the world. In 1929, she married the much more famous artist, Diego Rivera, when she was only 22 years old. And he certainly encouraged her as a painter. But I think she found that this, this zone of the familiar, including herself, was really her comfort zone. And she mined her own experiences as the source for her own paintings. Did her husband at all, do you think, influenced her painting or did she influence his painting? Diego Rivera was a communist and he believed in making art for the public. He's most famous for the great murals he painted in Mexico City beginning in the 1920s and extending into the 1930s. Kahlo also was imbued with this idea of creating art that was 
accessible to a public. She did so in a very different way. Instead of painting big public murals like her husband, she drew on these long-standing traditions of Mexican popular painting. Rivera also looked to Mexican popular art, so the two of them were very much in sync in looking to Mexico's popular painting traditions as a source for their own art. Barbara, can you explain what popular painting, what does that mean exactly? Well, for instance, a very common form of painting in Mexico, even today, is something called an ex voto. An ex voto is a tiny little painting that you would commission when a miracle had happened to you, when the Virgin had come down and rescued you from a terrible um, flood, or when you were sick in bed and a saint appeared to you and made you well again. In the wake of this miraculous occurrence, you would go to your local painter, and he or she, usually he, would paint you a tiny painting that would describe, that would show you in bed and then the saint coming down with a little legend at the bottom explaining the miracle or explaining the, the divine intervention in your life. This ex-photo tradition was very important to Kahlo, and she painted many, many paintings where she's using that tradition of a kind of a miraculous happening or simply a exceptional event. And so many of her paintings take this, this format of a, of a narrative of an occurrence that was exceptional, and they often have a little legend at the bottom that explains what was going on. So that's just one of the very popular traditions that she pulled on in her own art making. And Barbara, when you say small, are we talking piece of paper small? Are we talking matchbook cover small? Well, how small were her most, paintings? Most of these ex-votos, they're often painted on recycled tin, and they usually are about eight inches by six inches. Kahlo's work is a little bit bigger, but her work, too, has that same small, intimate scale. Tell me a little about her tour through America and how Kahlo's art ultimately affected American culture. After she married Rivera in 1929, he had a number of important commissions in the United States, including one in Detroit, and his murals at the Detroit Institute of Art are still there. He also had a very important commission at Rockefeller Center, and he made the grievous error of including a portrait of Lenin in Rockefeller Center. In a scandal that ensued, this is in the early 30s, the Rockefellers had those murals painted over. During this time, Kahlo was with him. She was his frequent companion, and she painted scenes of her own experience of the United States, one of which is her famous painting of self-portrait on the borderline. And in this, she sets herself up. She's dressed in a kind of frilly quinceanera dress. Um, but she's a tough girl because she's got a cigarette in her hand. On one side, there is Mexico. And Mexico is, is the side of a landscape that's filled with pyramids and fecund plants and flowering bushes. On the other is the industrial world of the United States. The canvas is bifurcated into two. And in the United States side, we see the belching towers of the Ford factory. And everything is mechanized and cold and hard and steel. In this painting, she really became very conscious of her identity as a Mexican in opposition to the United States. And that opposition carried through in her work. I think she became a, she was a devoted Mexican nationalist. And so she was very interested in, in again, looking to Mexican culture as an inspiration. She became really important in the United States much, much later, after her death in 19, 
54, she was would have been virtually unknown here. In part, she painted in a style that wasn't au courant in the, in the United States in the 50s. It was, again, only really in the 70s and the 80s with the publication of a very important biography of her that she became known on a wide scale in the United States. Since then, she's become a fundamental touchstone for artists who are who are making art about themselves and their own experience. And I think for many artists who felt marginalized or disenfranchised, she, because of her own marginal status as a, you know, as a, as a wife and as a, as a, a woman in Mexico, she became a, a great inspiration. And I think for many artists, they look to Kahlo and think, here's a person who made great art out of the mundane, out of just the personal. And that is why she's so influential today. And did she also, I, I remember reading something about she used nature uh, in a lot of her her paintings. Can you tell me more about that and why? She was very influenced by the Mexican landscape, and she often includes flowers and plants and animals that have significance in the Mexican culture. One of her favorite emblems is the hummingbird. And in one of her paintings, she portrays herself with a dead hummingbird um, like a, a pendant from a necklace. In Aztec culture, because the Aztecs were, of course, the great pre-Hispanic culture of Mexico, in Aztec culture, the hummingbird represented the soul of dead warriors. Huitzilopochtli, the great Aztec god, his name means hummingbird on the left. So the hummingbird was a very, very important Aztec deity and emblem. In folk culture in Mexico, the hummingbird acts as a talisman, and one hangs, uses a dead hummingbird to bring a, a lost lover back to one. So it also has a, a role in Mexican folk culture. In her painting, she also set herself up against gorgeous backgrounds of the plants of Mexico. And sometimes these plants were emblematic. Um, she often uses cactuses um, with their hairy surfaces that look like they're alive. And I think she wants to tap into this idea that the whole environment around her is animate and alive. You talked a little about uh, a little bit about the self-portrait mm -hmm. on the borderline. Mm -hmm. Was that considered her most famous work? Or does she even have a most favorite, famous work? Her most famous work is a painting that's now in Mexico City in the Museum of Modern Art there. And it's called The Two Fridas. In this painting, she portrays herself two times. She's seated against a cloudy landscape where there's almost nothing in the background. And all the viewer encounters are two nearly life-size portraits of Kahlo sitting down. She's dressed differently in these two in these two versions of herself. But these two women join hands across the center of the painting, so it's clearly her two selves divided. One of them is dressed in a, a kind of indigenous costume that's still worn in central Mexico. It's worn by women in a place called Tehuantepec. They are called Tehuanas. Tijuanas are famous for being forceful, matriarchal women. So for Kala, the Tijuana costume that she wears in one part of this double self-portrait is an assertion of herself as a, 
as an independent woman. On the other side, she's dressed in a frilly Victorian dress, which she copied actually from her mother's own wedding portrait. So this side represents the kind of Spanish or Europeanized side of her identity. And I think that's certainly her most famous painting because it maps onto Mexico as a mestizo nation, a nation that's made out of equal parts of the indigenous or Indian past, and then, of course, the Spanish colonial past. And she really nails it in that painting. Barbara, when was that painting completed? I think that painting is 1939. What was going on in Kahlo's life in 39 that you think she created that? When she painted that painting, Kahlo had, was, was in the midst of a very tumultuous relationship, marriage with Rivera. She paints, paints herself with an open heart in one of the, in one side of the self-portrait. And that heart is bleeding onto the white dress. She is suturing her own bleeding heart. And she also holds in, in one of her hands a locket with a portrait of Rivera as a young boy. So while the painting is about her own divided identity between her kind of European side and, and Mexican indigenous side, it's also about her tumultuous relationship with Rivera. And many of her paintings make explicit reference to Rivera either by including his portrait in them, often as a talisman or a locket or as a small feature of the painting. And they often show Kahlo suffering in some way because of that relationship. Their relationship was a was again always a tumultuous one. Why? We, well, Rivera was a famed womanizer, and Kahlo was 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 no slouch in that department herself. <laughs> both of them had had other lovers. Both of them had many other lovers, and while they were in the relationship, while together. they were in the relationship, both. For Kahlo, both male and female lovers, she was bisexual. But the self that Kahlo shows in her paintings often shows that self as being hurt or damaged by the relationship with Rivera. One sees Rivera in the paintings as a source of power for her because he's often included, again, as, as a kind of talisman. But the paintings also include him as a source of pain. So what about her influenced and inspired feminists, even after her death. Kahlo, at this point, is a major feminist artist, celebrated by feminists. And one of the, the reasons she is so attractive to feminists is because she was unafraid to paint things or paint occurrences in her life that had rarely, if ever, been the subject of art. She paints her miscarriages. Um, she paints scenes of, of birth. And these quintessentially feminine experiences were rarely the topic or the subject of, of painting. And so for other female artists or for artists in general who wanted to explore sometimes taboo but deeply personal subjects, she was incredibly influential in that. And daring, I would think. Very daring. Very, very daring. daring. Fearless, I would say. Fearless. Absolutely fearless. So why do you think Kahlo is so important to Mexican art? 
Mexican art had an enormous influence, particularly in the United States in the 1930s, when Mexican artists were painting great murals for the people. When Rivera came here in the 30s and painted public murals, he was influenced a generation of mural painters. And we live in New York where there are an enormous number of public murals that were started to be painted in the 1930s. And a lot of that is a result of the influence of Mexican popular or, or painting for the masses. In fact, the WPA project, which sponsored lots of mural painting in the United States, was influenced by Mexico's own drive to make art on public in public spaces. What's WPA? Work Projects Administration. What is that? It was in the in the Depression. Um, in order to get the economy jump started, Roosevelt started a program to hire artists and and architects and 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 it was the, called the Works Project Administration. And as part of this, artists were given salaries, but they needed to be given something to do. So they were also given jobs, and they were many of the jobs they were given was to paint murals in public spaces. So, for instance, post offices across the United States have great public murals from the 30s. That's all due to the WPA. Gotcha. So while Mexican art was very influential in in this move to make public art in the, in the 30s and, and 40s in the United States, it became less important subsequently with the rise of abstract expressionism. Kahlo, though, gave Mexican art a international gloss because of feminism. And so all of a sudden, here was art that was coming out of Mexico that was deeply Mexican. Kahlo was a deep Mexican nationalist. And it spoke to a a world of women. So I think that's why she is so crucial as a figure in Mexican art. It's because she transcended Mexicanness and and really talk to a global phenomenon of, of female experience. So, Barbara, you talked a little bit about Kahlo's dress earlier, the way she would dress. What did that mean to her culturally? And what did the dresses look like? Okay. Kahlo often wore long dresses. Some say that was because, as a result of her bout of polio as a child, she had one leg that was a little smaller than the other, and she wanted to disguise that. But she didn't just wear any long dress. She wore the, the dress of Mexican indigenous peasant women. The dress itself would have been among people of Kahlo's class because she was a upper class Mexican. It would have been like you or me wearing a Dolly Madison outfit. It was very extraordinary. But it did address Kahlo's long-term commitment to this concept of Mexicanidad or Mexicanness. For Kahlo, like Rivera, Mexico's peasant population was really where the soul of the country lived. And so by wearing, essentially, very colorful, dramatic peasant dress, Kahlo was was expressing her affiliation to this deep soul of Mexico, something that Mexicans called Mexico Profundo, or Deep Mexico. We know that Kahlo has a signature unibrow that she... When I was looking at pictures of her, Barbara, I noticed that in the picture of her, her unibrow was not as pronounced as when she painted 
herself portraits. What's the meaning of the unibrow? And it had to have some meaning behind it since it was so pronounced in herself portraits. What was the meaning of those? In our era of waxing, nobody would ever... <laughs> would ever admit to a unibrow. But in fact, a lot of people have unibrows and a lot of women. Today, it seems very surprising because we would just wax that thing right off. But for Mex but, but for Kahlo, this was who she was. So it was a very determined statement of her, of her rejecting these kind of Europeanized conventions of vanity, particularly heavily plucked brows, which we would find in, say, the 1930s and 40s. She also includes a slight mustache in her upper lip. Again, a rejection of these very Europeanized codes of beauty. And she insists on her own particular kind of beauty. In her self-portraits, Kahlo often shows herself with flowing hair. And flowing hair in European art is associated with abundant sexuality. And I think that often her emphasis on her own hair, be it hair from her head or hair on her face, is an expression of her own abundant sexuality. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Barbara Mundy. I'd also like to thank my producer, Blake Christie. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Sunday at 6 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>